Good morning. Hey, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, starting with the next study guide, we're going to start including pictures um, and things like that with that. I'm just kidding. That is not what we want in our small groups. Um, but it is okay to laugh, so we are glad you enjoyed that. Uh, we are emphasizing small groups uh, quite a bit this month, and uh, so we'll tell you a little more, more about that in just a little bit. I'm uh, Scott. Glad you're here. I'm the lead pastor here at First Christian. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians, the second chapter. We're going to be in Galatians 2. Verses 15 through 21. Um, if you need a Bible, there are some guests and uh, services guys coming down the aisles with Bibles if you need one. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you need one. I want to start reading. Uh, we have Bible study plans back in the hub. Um, take that. Put your name in it. It's yours. Steal it. The pastor said you could. Um, also, if you need study guides for this series, uh, they have them available as well. So just put your hand up and Grab a Bible. Galatians, the second chapter, 15 through 21, is where we'll be um, hanging out today. Um, As we talked about a bit ago, we're emphasizing um, our second, third habit of connecting in a small group uh, during this whole month of January. Um, As we've been saying for the last few weeks, you don't just discover deep relationships. You don't just happen upon it and like, ooh, magically, deep relationships. Let me jump in. You create them. They take time. Um, That's what we're talking about making happen in our small group. So we want you to be a part of that. And one thing we've continued to notice is uh, as we grow larger in size, um, it's the kind of place here where if you aren't connected in a small group, you will continue to to sense a disconnectedness to the body. And uh, so we really want to push this to something that's real important um, for your participation here at FCC, uh, for your personal growth to connect in a small group. Um, So connect in a small group. We have uh, openings available today. Um, So make sure you don't delay. Go by the hub and say, hey, (laughs) to connect in a small group, okay? That took hours to come up with. (laughs) Just kidding, we're not going to read yet. We have a recognition football in front of us here. Um, It has our logo on it. It has a quote from 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Use whatever gift you've received to serve others. Others. When we do that, it models the grace of God to us. This place here at FCC doesn't work without volunteers um, who are sold out to uh, using the gifts that they've received to serve others. And so many of you serve on the team in a whole bunch of different ways. And we are handing this out today. It's signed by uh, staff and elders and deacons. Um, we are giving this away to Shannon Saland. You know, come on up. Uh, we'd like to do this every once in a while just to uh, recognize those who have kind of gone, not kind of, she has very definitely gone uh, way above and beyond. Um, she is here pretty much every day, putting in many hours of work uh, as a part of our admin team. Um, sometimes we let her go home and her family goes, I'm sorry, who are you? Um, Shannon is really sold out. And so we wanted to give her this as a recognition of her keeping the P's and Q's together in a whole bunch of places. Uh, if you're a part of Regeneration Recovery, that thing works administratively uh, because Shannon puts in a lot of time um, in a volunteer way. So um, we want to give this to you and say we're grateful for uh, you being all in for FCC and for the work of the kingdom here. Thanks.
Got a lot of good theological meat to get to, so let's read together Galatians, the second chapter, verses 15 through 21. Galatians 2, 15 to 21. We're going to read that together, and then we'll uh, spend a minute in prayer uh, to get our hearts right as we listen to God's Word. It says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray, friends. Lord God, open our hearts to hear from you today. That we would follow your lead. That we would say yes to your direction. Forgive us for acting selfishly, and entitled, expecting you to reach out to us as we think we need. So Lord, correct us and teach us to receive you as you say we need. We submit ourselves again this morning to the power of your word, working through your spirit to reshape us, to reform us, to make us increasingly after your image. Lord, do we want to hold you up as holy and blameless and alone worthy of our praise. Lord, we are forever grateful that you've given us Jesus. Teach us today from your word about those places in our lives where we are still trusting in self so that we would Lay those before the cross today and trust in you alone. Teach us toward this end, we pray. Amen. So we're jumping in straight Bible today, basically. Um, Main question for us today is this. How do I receive the benefits of Christ's work for me? How do I receive the benefits of Christ's work for me? If Jesus' perfect and sinless life achieved a right standing for us before God because we were unable to live that perfect and and sinless life, much like what we talked about last week, then how exactly do I receive, how do I gain those benefits of Christ's work and his perfection for me? We answer that question in Galatians 2 today, 15 through 21. And I need to give you a little bit of context uh, before we jump into the passage, before we dive in. Uh, Peter was one of those 12 apostles, one of the first 12 original disciples, okay? And, and Jesus 
trained those disciples to train other disciples who trained other disciples. And then here we are sitting here today. That's how disciple making, that's how discipleship works from person to person to person as the truth of God does its thing through the spirit. So we follow Jesus today because Jesus trained people like Peter and Paul that we'll read about here. So Peter is one of those original 12 disciples. And the contextual sort of problem, the issue in the larger context of Galatians 2 here is that Peter, one of the original 12, was speaking sort of out of turn about what the gospel was. Okay? He was sort of functioning, he was sort of functioning as if he really didn't trust in the gospel. He was functioning as if the Gentiles, uh, the non-Jews who were becoming Christians, the non-Jews who were becoming Christians, he was functioning as if those Gentiles still had to follow all those Jewish rituals if they were going to really follow Jesus. If they were going to really actually follow Jesus, they had to add those rituals to their faith. He was saying in order for them to like really believe, to really trust, to really show that they were following Jesus, they still had to follow the, the dietary rules, the ceremonial feasts. They had to be circumcised. They had to do those ritual things. And Peter basically said, listen, those of y'all who were not Jews before you became Christians, you've got to take up these Jewish things in order to be a real Christian now. Peter's saying you don't really follow Jesus if you don't also do these things. And, and, and Paul <laughs> here in the larger context of Galatians 2 says, wait, 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 wait. Peter, simmer down. That's not the gospel. That's not how the gospel works. Paul basically here in, in written form uh, sort of goes into theological beast mode. And so that's where we pick up today in Galatians 2, 15 to 21, NFL reference. Um, so Paul is writing here with some heat. All right. He's writing with some heat to correct Peter. And so we're jumping into the conversation sort of midstream. Look with me in verse 15 of Galatians, the second chapter. Paul writing, to correct Peter. He says, we ourselves, he's speaking to Peter, he's saying, we ourselves, Peter, are Jews by birth. Like, don't forget, we're part of God's covenant people that comes with benefits. And we were not, as he calls them, quote, Gentile sinners. That's a way that they sort of talked about them as like the outsiders because they didn't do what the insiders did. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, verse 16, and yet, Peter, even then, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. Paul like cuts the chase and says it as definitively as possible. <laughs> a person, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. Paul is saying, so listen, Peter, <laughs> we who were the covenant people of God, we who are the covenant people of God from the Old Testament to whom God revealed himself, even we are not justified by works of the law, but through faith. Paul is claiming this both for Jews and non-Jews here in 2.16. He says, you know, Peter, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. Paul is confronting Peter to make crystal clear that even Peter's and Paul's participation in their own religious traditions did not solve the problem of sin. It pointed to the Messiah as solution, but it did not, in and of themselves, practicing them, 
solve their problem of sin. Their traditions pointed to the Messiah as the solution to their problem of sin. But the Jewish rules about eating kosher, celebrating the feasts, being circumcised, nothing inherently wrong with them. In fact, they're part and parcel of what the Old Testament people of God were to do to direct them to the Messiah, to rely on him, to have faith in him. But those things themselves were not the efficient cause, the instrumental means for the philosophy nerds among us. They were not the means of the solution. And to act as if they were is to run the risk of perverting the gospel and placing unnecessary hindrances and burdens on people that can end up functioning as hindrances to the liberty and the freedom of victory over sin. This is is fundamental stuff for Paul here. He's saying we are justified, we are made right with God, like we talked about last week, not by achieving what the law required. Because if we were, how's that working for you? We are not justified, made right with God, by achieving what the law required, but through faith. Through a trust and belief and a faith. Next phrase, three words, in Jesus Christ. You see, faith has an object. Faith has to have an object. If faith is not directed at something, if trust is not in something, if you don't believe in something, then it's not faith or trust or belief. By the way, sort of scripturally, faith, belief, and trust are fairly synonymous. So, so Paul is saying here in Galatians 2, it's about faith in Christ. This is why we say sola fide, Faith alone, and sola Christus, Christ alone. This is ground-level, foundational stuff of being a Christian, having faith in Christ. You see, faith has to have something into which it's directed, an object that that faith is directed to, and you don't have faith in nothing, right? Because if you don't have faith in something, it's not anything. James 2 tells us that's not even faith. You have faith in something. You place faith and trust in Something And so Paul is establishing that again for Peter and for um, those in Galatians because there were others who were sort of listening to the Peter and uh, circumcision party as they're talked about, the Judaizers. Um, so, so he's saying, we know, even we know, Peter, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And the object of a Christian's faith is Jesus. So keep reading. Verse 16, he says, so we also, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He restates the principle pretty definitively. He kind of makes the argument and then says it sort of backwards, like inside out there, um, to say it again. And he's basically saying, just to recap, in case there's any doubt, no superhuman hero effort or special merit that you may have can be added to faith as a basis of being right with God. This is why Luther, in the 1500s, ended up rejecting the official teaching of the Catholic Church because it was important to clarify then, it was important to define then, as now, and as Paul does here, it was important to clarify that the gospel the good news of the coming of kingdom in Jesus 
is not grace achieved through merit, but grace received by faith. Look at the trajectory. It's not right standing achieved by merit, but it is grace received by faith. Grace is talked about as a, as a gift, Paul says. You don't achieve right standing with God by being personally awesome. Now, Paul's not done with the argument. And uh, he, he can already hear before we get to the end of the passage here that there are going to be detractors, people who say, if that's really how this works, Paul, that creates a whole huge set of problems and we've got to manage those problems. Like we've we got to make sure we take care of those, you know, what ifs that are going to happen if we really believe that this grace thing is by faith alone. It's going to create problems, Paul. <laughs> so Paul um, answers those objectors. And uh, he, he says this, verse 17. It's a little complicated. We'll try to make it simple for you. Look at this question here. He says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Like, like does Christ serve to make us sinners? Then certainly not, he says. He's answering an objection here. Someone might say to this whole idea that it's faith alone. They might say, if justification is by faith and it's not by works, then people are still going to sin. That's a problem, right, Paul? They're still going to sin because they haven't learned to not sin. Because they're assuming that you have to learn to not sin in order to have right standing with God. They might think that they can follow Jesus, Paul, (laughs) with this grace thing, with this by faith thing. They might think they can follow Jesus and then live in any way they want. How's that going to work for you, Paul? We're going to have to care pick up a lot of mess after that. You're going to have to have some way. You're going to have to have some way to make people earn it. Because if they don't, how's that, how's that work? <laughs> but Paul says this in response. Look at verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, in other words, if I go back to having to keep those rituals as a condition For my salvation, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, the law shows me I'm a sinner. So if I go ahead and do it that way, all that's going to happen is the law shows me I'm a sinner. Just like it was supposed to. (laughs) But Paul says, if I rebuild that and I do it again, I'm just going to come up with the same place. He says, for through the law, I died to the law. The law shows me I'm a sinner. And that I'm in need, that I'm in need of grace. I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now it's a little bit complicated here. Let me just summarize it by saying this. If the law hadn't shown me that I was sentenced to to death in my sin, if the law hadn't shown me that I was a sinner bound for self-destruction, I wouldn't have known I had to receive grace by faith. If the law hadn't shown me I was a sinner bound for self-destruction, I wouldn't have known I had to receive God's grace by faith. The law shows me I can't do it. Look at the role that faith plays here. Keep reading here. 
He says in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. The old sort of self-trusting me, Paul says, is dead. It's no longer I who live. My personal interests and goals, those are dead. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But now Christ lives in me, he says. The Holy Spirit has given me new interests, new goals, and that happens. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. That happens by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Again, Paul's complicated at times. Uh, let's try to say it pretty simply here. He's returning to the doubting question, those who are opposing him again. He says, hypothetically, if the righteousness were through the law, if right standing with God came through me attending well to the law by works, then Christ's death would have been pointless. Let me say that again in case you didn't get it. (laughs) If right standing for me came by attending to those rituals well enough, let's say. If righteousness came through that, then Christ's death means nothing. It would have been pointless. If we can earn salvation, then for what did Christ die? If we can earn it, for what did he die then, Paul says. So what Paul stands firmly on here, at least doctrinally, is that a person is not justified by works of the law as something you can achieve, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He even says we're made alive by faith. Made alive by faith in the Son of God. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's what sola fide and sola Christus mean. They're foundational to the gospel the good news of receiving right standing before God. Now, here's what I know about all of us. It's easy here while I'm preaching or if we're here, here for an hour, it's easy for all of us to nod an agreement and say, yay, faith in Christ. And to sort of give this intellectual nod to Jesus, right? And to like, and, and to play, hey, corporate trust in Jesus, right? It's sort of easy to, sort of play corporate trust in Jesus. And we're singing songs and the preacher's preaching and we're like, yeah, faith. <laughs> but the truth is that functionally, most of us walk out those doors and a sort of switch goes off. And we jump right, we jump right back into those old habits of depending on our self-salvation project. Thank you very much. You see, the truth is, for most of us, there is one last God to whom we bow that shows where our trust really lies. For most of us, we walk out that door, those doors, and on the inside we go, yeah, that sounds good, Scott, but I trust this right here. This is where I live. Truth is that many of us, as we walk past the threshold to go back into everyday life, we are still exactly where Peter was, trusting in a man-made law, I alone control. Militantly. Because the truth is, many of us place this trust 
in ourselves. And we have internally, time and time and time and time again, made these promises to ourselves in here on the inside where nobody else can control us. We have sworn to ourselves, I will go to my grave trusting no one else, just this guy. That's functionally where a lot of us actually live. Which, by the way, is just being scared to trust. All it is (laughs) is being scared to trust the Creator God who loves you and knew you could not achieve your own salvation would send in your stead His own Son, Jesus, to live perfectly for you and then sacrifice. Faith alone in that Jesus is what Paul's talking about. I'm not making it up. It's all over the Scriptures. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about two men who go to the temple to pray. Okay, One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. One perceived the Pharisee as holy and righteous and devout in every conceivable way. The other perceived as corrupt, as a sinner, as a kind of a bookie, we might call him. <laughs> All right? The Pharisee goes to the temple to pray, and he prays, he prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And the tax collector, standing far off, aware of his need for a Savior, says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now Luke comments on this parable. There's a, there's a cool little thing here that Luke notes. He comments on this parable by saying, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Friends, please hear God's word. Proverbs says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Perhaps the creator. Not so much the creation. (laughs) Scripture says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Paul is clear here in Galatians, the second chapter, trusting in the law, is a form of trusting in yourself. Because, because that creates a self-centered system, a measure of salvation that ultimately leads to condemnation because it functionally places no hope and trust in the blood of Jesus. So beware, friends. Trusting in yourself is ultimately a declaration of rebellion against God. Trusting in yourself alone is ultimately a form of rebellion against your own Creator. And if it feels like I'm trying to make it sound sinister (laughs) to trust in yourself, good, I am. Because I think Scripture makes clear that it, it is 
I would venture to say, if the Scriptures are true, if Paul is right, if the Gospel is real, if a need for a salvation is for all of us the case. Trusting in self is so sinister a temptation that many of us functionally bow at that altar of our own greatness without even knowing and without even caring. I get it. It's easy to trust in yourself. It's what you've been relying on your whole life. You've been raised from birth to trust that your meaning and identity and purpose comes from this horizontal relationship where you and I have this reciprocity, this agreement that who you are and what I am comes from this. It's easy to trust in yourself. I get it. But please don't make that tragic and that ultimately very foolish mistake. Place your faith in the only object worthy of trust. Because you're clear. (laughs) Because you know that you are not as wonderful as you think you are. I say it with a smile. Because I feel it like you. Learn to say it with a sense of both joy and, and the sober truth, which demonstrate the fullness of the grace and truth of Jesus. You are not as wonderful as you think you are. So get it through your heads and into your hearts. You're not your own Savior. You are not your own Savior. You are not your own Savior. Friends, let's pray. Lord, truth is we all stand exposed before your awesome holiness. And so in the quiet of this moment, we want to stand before you and acknowledge that we trust your Son, Jesus. Forgive us for saying yes to the principalities and the powers of this world that tempt us to believe in self Give us the courage, give us the strength to say yes to you alone as the object of our faith so that the ground of our salvation is your perfection. Teach us, Lord, through your Spirit to live from that truth. To speak to one another because of that truth. to be men and women and marriages and families and homes. For us to be a church where the grace uh, that you give to us and that we receive by faith in your Son, Jesus, that that undeserved favor and blessing that you give to us would be where we talk and where we behave and how we interact with one another. Make of us people who extend love and grace to one another because our faith 
is placed in you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.